Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to A Little Bit Dusty. All things country, rural and outback Australia. Grab a hot or cold one and enjoy the conversation ahead. Okay guys, welcome to another episode of A Little Bit Dusty. We're at episode 5 now, we're halfway through the series and today we're doing something different. The last couple of episodes have been light-hearted and a bit of a laugh along the way but this time we're getting serious. We're talking all things water today. A natural resource that used to be in abundance and plenty for the whole country, but now it's become a politicized issue that people are profiting from and the farmers are suffering the lack of water as well as rural areas and it's affecting the communities more ways than anyone can imagine. So I just want to put a little disclaimer before we start this episode. I'm no expert on this topic. This is strictly all coming from Conversations I've had with locals through the parts of New South Wales where the Murray-Darling Basin sits and my experience and knowledge, relatable knowledge through researching it myself and from the interviews I've heard with this guest we're about to have on as well and from researching his Google Quadrant articles. So I'm no expert, but this is just from my passion, my expression of interest and my curiosity and wondering how I can do more to prevent this issue of water mismanagement and selling water to foreign companies to cease, as well as hopefully the rest of the public and my listeners to understand what's actually happening and how we can go into it in great detail. Now, because of how badly this issue affects individuals and rural communities, this is just a bit of a trigger warning. Uh, We might be talking about subjects such as suicide and domestic violence. So I'm going to provide a couple of numbers here. For those who want to make the call in case uh, this uh, does trigger them. So there's the CWS helpline number. That's 1300-096-273. There's the Step Together hotline. That's 1-800-875-204. And a couple of other lines we can call as well is the Suicide Callback Service, 1300-659-467. Lifeline on 13-11-14. Kids Helpline, 1-800-551-800, and Standby, which is the support for after-suicide line. That's a mobile number. It's 0438-648-268. I just wanted to make sure that I provided those numbers before we get into the real thick of this conversation because it has just an astronomical impact on individuals affected by the lack of water and communities and that sort of thing as well. Um, I will try and end this whole conversation that I have with my guest on a bit of a light note, but this is again a very different episode because we're going to be talking about 
some very serious issues and how we can try and prevent them or how we can, as a nation or as a collective group of people, to try and uh, reverse some of these actions that have been happening from uh, the politics involved with this water mismanagement and lack of water. Because the main thing is Australia has so much water. We have we have it in abundance and unfortunately it's just being sent off the wrong way. It's being sold to those who don't need it and people are inflating the water market for farmers and rural communities. So again, this is all out of my curiosity, my expression of interest and my relatable knowledge from people I've chatted to in some of these areas affected from some of my travels that I've done. So it's a very serious topic and I want to make sure that every listener that listens to this shares it to as much people as they can to really understand the consequence of what will happen if Australia or if rural Australia runs out of water. So this is episode five with Ron Pike. This will be in two parts, possibly three, because we're going to get to go into a lot of detail. And this man has been involved with water for Australian water for you know, nearly over 50 years and is a very, got a high reputation and very, very knowledgeable about the subject. So here we go. Enjoy episode five with Ron Pike on A Little Bit Dusty. Okay, guys, welcome to episode five of A Little Bit Dusty. We're getting serious this time. We're talking about what I believe and most others believe is Australia's biggest issue, and that's water. We're talking all things water with a very special guest. And like most things we're seeing nowadays, it's become politicized. It's become a foreign investment, and it's destroying Australia's economy and rural communities as well. It's much more than just growing a crop. This has a massive impact on individuals and communities all across rural Australia. And I'm talking to none other than Ron Pike. He's a third-generation irrigation farmer from Murrumbidgee. He's been involved with Australian water for over 50 years, and he joins us now. We're going to get into it into a minute, but uh, before we get into this, I'd just like to say I can't thank you enough for having this chat. You have no idea how much this means to us. I've seen some of these areas we'll speak of affected firsthand by water trading and water corruption, and I've heard conversations by locals on this matter as well. Um, I certainly hope that my listeners and everyone else who shares this around will start to understand the impact this has on the country and the fact that we're losing another grain in the hourglass every day. Some, by, if something isn't done about it, it's just, it's just killing Australia and rural communities. Look, it's an absolute disaster. When the federal government got involved in water management, which was unconstitutional. It was absolutely contrary to section 100 of the constitution, which quite clearly gives the states and the people who live therein the right to use the waters of the rivers. And it specifically says to use them for water conservation and irrigation. Now it goes back much further than that. Uh, the right of the people to use the water of the rivers goes back to Magna Carta. And um, what, the Commonwealth Government has done has taken away those rights and we now have a crazy situation where most people think Australia is short of water, where in actual fact we have more water per head of population than most other countries on earth. And to put that into some real context, the only water we have is what runs off from precipitation. When we get rain or dew or snow, about 83% of it soaks straight into the environment, into the land. The other 17% runs off in our creeks and rivers. 
Now in Australia, on average, that amounts to 290 million megalitres a year. You and your listeners may be surprised to learn that of that 290 million megalitres, we use 6%. 94% just runs to the sea, and yet here we are saying we're short of water. We're not short of water at all. We have vast volumes of water. Um, our irrigated agriculture could be multiplied by a factor of five or six and we'd still have plenty of water. Um, but it's, it's mismanagement and it is the imposition of the federal authorities into um, what is a matter that has caused this problem. It's absolutely bizarre. Now, we're going to get into the thick of this shortly, but um, for those who probably haven't heard of you, I'd like to kind of start this conversation by going back to the very beginning. I'd like to, um, let's just start with the, telling the listeners a little bit just about yourself, where you grew up, and I understand that uh, the Pike name has helped some uh, originate some of the food industries in Australia. So what food industry or industries has the Pike name helped originate? Oh, right, okay. Um, my paternal grandfather... Uh, was one of the first settlers to take up land on the newly established Murrumbidgee Irrigation Area. The New South Wales government established the New South Wales, sorry, the Murrumbidgee Irrigation Area uh, after they built Burrenjuk Dam and put in the uh, weir on the Murrumbidgee and the main canal. Um, he established a fruit farm initially and then moved to a much larger acreage farm right. and was instrumental in establishing the rice industry in Australia. My father followed on uh, from that. Both men were devout environmentalists. They both understood that we have to keep our rivers uh, running permanently. Uh, to do that, we have to have storages and we have to have storages of large enough capacity to store the water that we get in flood time. And uh, I followed on from that. I was officially the first person to use uh, water from the Snowy Scheme when we turned water on at Farm One Collie Ambly in 1961. As a result of that, I was invited to the uh, Snowy Scheme by the authority and spent a week up there uh, ever since then, I've been a devout <laughs> disciple uh, of the Snowy Scheme and what it's done. Um, but I cringe uh, when I think of what Snowy Hydro now is and what it does compared to what it was supposed to be doing and what the people paid for. Uh, the people paid for the scheme so they would have adequate and cheap water and adequate and cheap electricity um, Snowy Hydro now produces the dearest electricity in Australia and it is a raucous monopoly totally owned by the federal government. So what we're talking about here, um, the, the group that is responsible for all these problems um, is the federal government. We can't, we can't shy away from that fact. 100%. So the main, the main difference would be from when, I suppose, uh, state decision, decisions moved into federal decisions and then all kind of uh, validity of the original uh, concept would be lost. Would that be fair to say? 
Yes, it would be. They still, uh, obviously, to make hydropower, they divert water from the uh, scheme into both the Tumut and then the Murrumbidgee River and uh, further south into the Murray River. Um, and that's approximately just over a million megalitres a year into each of those rivers. Um, now, that still happens, but they release that water only to suit themselves. And if the dam's being blaring on the Tumut and uh, Hume on the Murray happened to be full, um, which they were a couple of years ago, well, tough luck, they still release the water and it just uh, goes over the spillway and down the river. Uh, and there's no concern given to uh, water conservation. Their only concern is making money out of hydropower. Who gets the uh, money from that, the profit? The federal government. That's absolutely insane. So I assume that would be, that probably led to you to gain an interest in water. And was it over your over your time being involved uh, with all things Australian water, because it's been about, what, 50 years or so, was it what you expected or were there the particular points you wished to accomplished since getting involved or since then has it all just been a bit of a disaster? No, I became hands-on involved as a result of uh, turning on the water in Collie Ambly in 1961. Um, and I became uh, very active in negotiating with and talking to the New South Wales government as it uh, then was, or still is, controlling the Murrumbidgee Valley. And in those early days, in fact, decades, we, um, we improved the management of water uh, several times. Initially, licences to irrigate, or going back a step, initially the government decided that they would develop the Collie Irrigation Scheme to use the extra water in the Murrumbidgee. Right. It soon became apparent that they didn't have to spend that sort of money. All they had to do was issue licenses to people or entities that had land to irrigate on the uh, river. And they started doing that. Originally, they were uh, acreage licenses. In other words, you would get a, um, a license to irrigate 420 acres. Now, one of the things I negotiated with the government was that they had to get away from that because people would get a license, they'd lay out 800,000 acres or 1,200 acres. Right, yeah. And they'd water much more than their 420 acres. So somewhere along the line, the government listened and they changed it to a volumetric amount. I think the original volume was 960 megalitres. And then those licences... Some of them were increased, and oh, it's a long story, but it's been a volumetric allocation of water ever since. Um, the claim that was made during the drought that those rivers were over-allocated was always false, because for the simple reason that the New South Wales Office of Water, as it now is, back then it was the Water Conservation and Irrigation Commission, only ever allowed... Um, allocations of water that could be covered by water that was in storage. In other words, if you had an allocation of a thousand megalitres and the dam was full and there was plenty of water in the river, well, you've got your thousand megalitres. But if it was a year when the dam come the beginning of the season, which is always the 1st of August, was half empty, your allocation might only be uh, 500 megalitres. Now, that system worked... Uh, without fault, 
until the uh, introduction of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. And since then, it has been an absolute disaster. Yep. So that's going to be one of the points that we'll be talking about today. Like I've said in the, uh, this, in the intro to uh, this episode, we're going to go into a lot of things in great detail. There's a few companies and people we'll be talking about. Duxton Water, the Commonwealth Environmental Water Holder, the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, and the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. So I want to attempt to tackle this point by point. So going back to this plan and everything related to it, when did foreign companies start purchasing water and who allowed this bill to pass and how was it allowed to pass in the first place? The bill was introduced into the parliament by Malcolm Turnbull. I had a very uh, blunt and long discussion with Malcolm Turnbull before he wrote the legislation. Um, and uh, without being too critical, I came to the conclusion there was no way you could tell Malcolm Turnbull anything. He assumed that he knew everything. Uh, he had no idea what he was doing. And the classic mistake he made was he broke the nexus between a licence to irrigate and land that could be irrigated. Prior to the Federal Water Act, for obvious reasons, you couldn't have a licence to irrigate unless you had land to irrigate. And those licences um, were not back then negotiable or able to be sold or moved around the valley. What Turnbull did came in, he broke that nexus, and then he said, anyone can buy a water license. And of course, in came the speculators, the profiteers, but the reason he had to do that, the environment, the national environmental water holder had been established, and that water holder went into the market and spent 14,000 million dollars of taxpayers' money buying water licences. And they bought about 2,400,000 megalitres of water. They still um, own and control that water. And that is why regional communities have been struggling and going backwards ever since. See, that's, well, that's part of your, uh, what we'll get into later, your, in your, your plan that works for all. And one of the points is, yeah, licenses to irrigate water should only be held by entities that have land to irrigate. To me, that just makes so much sense. We, we have to unwind that which doesn't work and replace it with something that will. And it's the problem we have, as I said right at the beginning, is not a shortage of water. We have the same amount of water in the Murray-Darling Basin now as we had 20 years ago, 100 years ago, and 200 years ago. It's no different. Uh, in fact, it's slightly more. And if you read some of my published work, you'll see why it's more. Uh, we have much more runoff now. And of course, the reason we have more runoff, once you establish an irrigation area um, and you get a thunderstorm in the summer, you get dramatically more runoff. Uh, so our rivers have actually got more water in them now than they had 100 years ago. Um, but you'd never know that because the Murray-Darling Basin Authority has taken control and what's it doing with the water that it controls? It's flushing it into the sea on the presumption that somehow um, the environment benefits by flushing water into the sea out the mouth of the Murray. Um, now, these clowns don't even know where the mouth of the Murray is. Um, they're talking about an estuarine opening which is 70 kilometres away from the mouth of the Murray. 
And um, it has nothing to do with the flow of the Murray or the um, health of the Coorong or anything else. But what are they doing? In the last three years, they've fluxed over 7 million megalitres a year out of that tiny little estuary uh, on the presumption that they're keeping the mouth of the Murray open. It's not the mouth of the Murray. <laughs> it's, it's just bizarre. So this... You probably see me just scratch my head from the hour or two that we'll get into this because it just seems some of these points just seem so bizarre just to me and and the general public as to why these have been taken in place. So, firstly, I didn't know Malcolm Turnbull was water minister before he was prime minister, and the fact that ten billion dollars was put onto the table from John Howard when he announced his plan, obviously when that money's on the table, it has to be used somehow. So. From my knowledge, the Murray-Darling Basin Authority is manned of 400 people who are very water unaware. So it just sounds like the main objective was to profitise from it. But one of the more bizarre points is yet return water to the environment. And some of these places that the Murray-Darling Basin flows through, no one really knew or knows still what that what that specific environment is and why so much of this water is going out to sea. Why would... Why on earth would anyone flush so much water out to sea to try and protect the environment? That just doesn't make sense to me at all. Look, having been appointed and been given the task of returning water to the environment, which is what the government instructed the Murray-Darling Basin Authority to do. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Surely the first question they should have asked themselves and had a look in the mirror is, what is the environment? 
Now, having answered that question, I'll come back to it in a moment. Surely the next question should have been, where does the environment reside? Now, neither of those questions were asked. It was just blindly assumed that if you flushed more water down the Murray, it was going to be good for the environment. Well, the answer to the questions is these. The environment of the Murray-Darling Basin covers every square kilometre of the million square kilometres that it covers. And there's no one square kilometre that's more important than another. So by taking water away from uh, farmers, away from uh, man-made wetlands, they have actually destroyed aquatic habitat across the Murray-Darling Basin. Now, I think if all of your listeners and yourself would be aware of those pictures from a little over 12 months ago with all of the dead fish in the Darling and the Macquarie and Menindee Lakes. Ah, yes. Now, those fish were dead. That ended up making worldwide news. Not because of Mother Nature. They were dead because the Murray-Darling Basin Authority drained those lakes and rivers on the pretext that they were flushing salt out of the bottom end of the Murray. Now, I can tell you that, and I was involved in this, there has not been a salt problem in the Lower Murray for well over 30 years. 30 years ago there was, but mankind being what mankind is, industrious, we put in interdiction works. There's now a big salt industry down there, and there is no problem with salt in the Lower Murray or the Upper Murray for that matter. But what did these guys do? They flushed away two and a half million megalitres of water, but left dead fish, empty rivers, uh, towns and farms without water. Um, and these guys are all sitting there in Canberra on huge salaries, uh, and they have no idea the consequences of what they are doing. It is, it is a scandal that I have taken up with the minister, I have written to the Prime Minister about it, and sadly to say, uh, the Prime Minister's office has not even acknowledged receipt of my letter, even though I had it hand-delivered to his office. And I think that is um, also a scandal. Absolutely. I just want to um, just quote from one of your uh, Google Quadrant documents. This was from Water on the Brain. It was wrote in 2015, October. Politicians in Canberra and Sydney replaced what had been proven to work over the course of a century with a water management policy imposing disastrous consequences on communities across the Murray-Darling Basin, not to mention state and federal budgets. Today, the prevailing policy destroys our capacity to produce food and fibre, even as it impacts the very environment its architects claim to be saving. So the example of the fish kills, now surely that's just, uh, you know, the water mismanagement is destroying a lot of uh, aqua marine life as well. But one of the main important things is, is the, one of the bigger effects as well is that's destroying our food bowl and our water bowl too. Now, quite a while ago now, we used to export some of the world's most richest in nutrients foods to over 40 countries, and that's just rapidly declining, mainly because of this issue. Look, the best example is that it cuts across many uh, food crops, but rice is um, the rice industry of the Riverina is the most productive and efficient rice industry in the world. The industry was totally vertically integrated. The farmers not only grew the rice, they milled it, they packaged it, they transported it, they sold it, and 
we used to produce around one and a half million tonnes of paddy rice a year. After this plan came in, that dropped down to 20 or 30,000 tonnes. Now, that put hundreds and hundreds of people out of work. Now, there's been a bit of a recovery last year for the simple reason that we've had uh, floods and high river flows and uh, the people had some water, but that's one year um, in 13. Now, you can't run a business by having sufficient inputs only one year in 13. It's just ridiculous. And the reason we built the dams, um, and that's particularly... Burrenjuk, Blaring and Hume, they're not the only ones, but they're the main ones affecting the rice industry, was so that we could have continuity of production every year, which we did. And as I said there, it goes back 90 years. Um, in comes the Commonwealth, the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, and all of that gets um, washed to thunder and flushed down to the sea and um, towns like Leeton and Griffith and Finlay and Daniliquin and Hay um, are struggling. They've, they've lost uh, hundreds of people. They've lost businesses. It's, it's a disaster. Absolutely. Um, another another from uh, short little quote from one of your articles in Water Act Wastes Water in December 2010. Uh, this one, this, so this, as well as uh, farmers not being able to, to access water, since these other, uh, the Murray-Darling Basin Authority and since other foreign companies have been able to purchase water, that inflates the market, which makes it harder to buy. So your quote here, first, we have irrigation farmers looking at the best crop prices in a generation. They have the land, the equipment, the know-how, most important part, and the desire to generate income for rural communities and are facing rivers in flood, but courtesy of the bureaucracies, cannot buy water from the state, which has capped their entitlements at 62% maximum. Who in their right mind would decide to cap water entitlements for people that are producing the food bowl for our country and others? Well, you need to ask the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister um, previous, and the various water ministers along the way. And I've certainly had discussions and arguments with all of them. Um, it should never, ever have happened. Um, the claim during the millennium drought that our rivers were dying and uh, river red gums were dying and um, that was all because of over-extraction was always false. It was a blatant lie. Now, just take river red gums for a moment, and I won't go into the details here, but um, if you search around, you can find some of my written work on it. River red gums are flood-tolerant they are not flood dependent. I can show you thousands of hectares of river red gums that have never seen a flood. And the claim that they have to take the water back to water the river red gums, it's just, um, it, well, it's worse than nonsense. It's dishonest rubbish. And what have they done? Where they've ever they've artificially watered river red gums, they've killed them. And we've got dead river red gums now scattered right across the basin that have all been killed by overwatering because water, as I said, river red gums are flood tolerant, not flood dependent, but if they're standing in water for too long, they die. And I can take you down now and show you hundreds and hundreds of hectares of dead river red gums that were killed by water that should have been used on crops, but wasn't. Uh, it was used to kill river red gums. And 
Um, can the minister somehow or other get his head around that? It seems it's too difficult. Um, he keeps listening to the bureaucrats in the Murray-Darling Basin Authority and he won't listen or take advice uh, from uh, people who have practical knowledge, one of whom is myself, obviously, but I'm not the only one. And um, it's, it's a blight on the Morrison government. It's a blight going back to the um, Howard government, but right, we're talking about right now that at a time when we're having uh, good seasons and there is flow in the rivers, that most of that water that should be flowing over the top of our dams now has been flushed down the river on the pretext that they've, um, they need to um, flush the river out and send more water to the sea. And the minister will not accept any argument about that. And um, there's been over 100 reports on the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. And with one exception and one only, every one of those reports has been negative. So it begs the question, why isn't the minister taking advice from the reports that in many cases uh, his department has uh, put in place? But no, uh, we're leaving it uh, the way it is. And the saddest thing of all is you would think that the National Party politicians would be standing up here supporting regional communities and irrigators, but no, Barnaby Joyce in particular, and before him, um, Michael McCormick, both of whom I've known for many, many years, um, adamantly uh, support this failed plan. Um, I had talks with the National Party room only two or three weeks ago, um, and they said they were going to fix water, and guess what? They haven't changed the thing. Yeah, it seems like uh, there's a big mix of crocodile tears and short the sort of phrases just to try and please the public because uh, each minister is in the public eye whenever this gets addressed in the news or media and that sort of stuff as well. Um, I've followed Helen Dalton closely for a couple of years now as well. She's a member for Murray and has recently uh, cooperated and been a part of uh, Jordan Shanks Friendly Geordie's document, uh, documentary that came out recently on water. And she put a clip out of her in question time asking Melinda Pavey why a lot of these foreign entities who are buying Australian water aren't paying capital gains tax. And Melinda has bounced around the question as well as her other members in the seat. And Helen just seemed like she just come off of just being silenced. Even the speaker was trying to shove the question away. So I could imagine that it's, just, it's, a, it's a mix of not wanting to admit to their mistakes and trying to keep their seat in that position and the fact that they don't want their salaries reduced as well because it seems like they're in a pretty good spot, but the public is now starting to further see what's going on. Um, with some of this effects that are taking place, what, what are some of the effects and what are the kind of the negative impacts that the lack of water has on the community? Because it's more than just not being able to have a drink. It's schools closing down. It's uh, people drive, packing up and leaving. What kind of other negative impacts does it have of you know when rural communities are facing a lack of water or having to result to go to bore water of all things as well? Look, just a little uh, example. Now, some of this um, work and what I'm referring to is a few years ago now. But the town of Warcool, which is a small town west of Daniliquin, 
and was very much the result of the expansion of the rice industry across the Murray Valley uh, just after the Second World War. Um, the school there used to have 120 to 130 pupils. And of course, with that, there was eight to 10 uh, teachers. The teachers all belonged to the tennis club or played footy with the local footy club. A couple of years after this uh, act came into being, that school went down to 20 kids. In other words, they lost 100 students. And with that, they lost their tennis club, their footy club. Now, that's just one little example. But I'll give you another one. The town of Daniliquin, which is, again, on the Edwards River, but uh, was part of the Murray system and a much bigger town, a bit further east from Warcool. There used to be 14 dairies there, 14. Now, they weren't little dairies. These were serious commercial dairies. The last one closed down 18 months ago. Right. They're all gone. There's 14 dairies disappeared. Now, can you imagine the loss of the income uh, to a town like Daniliquin when that happens? Now, at the same time, that's just one industry. That's a dairy industry. The biggest rice mill in the Southern Hemisphere is at Daniliquin. About four years ago, don't hold me to this around about there, that rice mill closed down. There was no rice to mill. Now, it's open again now because they've just had uh, quite a good season and there was some water around. Okay. But you can't run a rice industry by having rice once every eight or ten years. Mm. Um, and this plan at the moment, uh, that's what will happen. The next time we get a couple of dry years, there'll be no rice because there's no water. It's not because there's no water. It's because uh, the people can't get access to it because the government bureaucracy owns it. Mm. I do, it's yeah, it's 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 beyond it's beyond my comprehension, and which is why I'm just so thankful to have you on because this, this can explain and hopefully yet to have the public and listeners understand really what's happening. Um, so there's two made there's two major industries in Daniliquin that have closed down due to the shortage of water. Now it's been addressed in Friendly Geordie's documentary as well, and a given just point that has been known for to other people in the area. The worst part about this impact of water, well, one of the worst, worst parts I find is recently I've heard and seen through the interview that farmers in Daniloquin, when it all goes to shit, when they can't afford their price of water, they're, <clears throat> they're suiciding by crashing their cars into trees to make it look like an insurance job with the hope that the money received from the families will provide them for a better future. Now, that is absolutely heartbreaking and unfortunately, that is what's happening because of this impact of water mismanagement. It is the harsh, immoral reality of bad policy and that is happening. Um, I, I don't live in the, the valleys anymore. I'm down on, or up on the coast, but uh, I have heard those stories and they're certainly correct. And But once again, um, how do you get a federal minister who lives in central Queensland to uh, have the humility to accept that the policy he is administering is not only wrecking communities, but it's, it's killing people? Mm. And it is.
What has Barnaby Joyce's involvement been since this whole epidemic took place? Barnaby, oh, I've got to be very careful here. I've been doing a bit of negotiating with the National Party at federal level the last couple of weeks. Barnaby Joyce is... Um, anything that doesn't involve Barnaby Joyce uh, is um, well-being. Barnaby Joyce is not interested in. And uh, he has done absolutely nothing for regional communities, um, either when he was a minister or when, as he is again now, uh, Deputy Prime Minister. Um, he has been an absolute waste of space. And um, he has supported this plan all along, even although he knows, he must know in his own heart, that it is doing great harm and it's wrong. But why is he supporting it? Because it's a Liberal Party act and he needs to cosy up to the Liberal Party because if he didn't, he wouldn't be Deputy Prime Minister. Now, that might sound like a harsh thing to say, but it is absolutely the truth. Yeah. That's that's another thing I've noticed as well. The Nationals have kind of further conjoined within the Liberals over time as well. They haven't they haven't been separated as of recent, but as you as you uh, well and truly point out, I can imagine to be to save and secure uh, their position and their paychecks as well. Look, if the Nationals continue the way they are at the moment and they're showing no signs of changing, and if the um, Murray-Darling Basin plan is still in place at the next election. I can very confidently say to anybody, but particularly Barnaby Joyce, the Nationals are going to get wiped out at the next federal election. The seats of Parks, Calair, Riverina, Farrah, Nichols, Goulburn and Mallee will all fall to... Um, it's not going to go to the Labor Party. There are forces in place down there now that are going to put up independence and a couple of smaller parties, and all of those seats are going to be lost. Um, we're not talking about a little organisation here. There's a total of 29,000 paid-up members, and all of those people are determined to see that those seats are lost to the LMP, and they will be lost. Hmm. I just want to bring up another quote here from one of your quadrant articles. This is from Food Bowl to Dust Bowl from August 2011. Again, I just want to say I've, re I've, re I've read all of these articles from your Google quadrant and they're just written so beautifully, some poetically, but just more importantly, so comprehensible. Anyone can, I'll provide the links in the show comments uh, when this episode comes out, but I highly encourage everyone to read these articles that Ron has put on his Google quadrant because they're so comprehensible, they're so simply explained, and it just makes just absolute sense of how we can benefit a, you know, a not a dry country, just to thrive and have plenty of water to, to be spread out through the Murray-Darling Basin and throughout. So this quote says, the facts are that the end of several years of drought when no annual irrigation croppers have had no water, no crops, no income, but have been paying the state for a service they have not received and basin communities have been barely surviving. A bloated green bureaucracy has managed to minimise production, lower state income and destroy confidence across the food bowl of Australia for two of what should have been maximum production recovery years. 
You couldn't have put it more simpler. <laughs> Look, a lot of people wouldn't believe this, and um, this should have gone to court. In 2002, and this is not the federal government, by the way, in 2002, the New South Wales Office of Water, um, now 2002 was about halfway into the uh, millennium drought, so it, it was already very dry and there wasn't much uh, water around. The New South Wales Office of Water said to irrigators in New South Wales, we're going to exact from you 15% of high security licences and sorry, 5%, and 15% from um, ordinary licences, um, the lower security licences. They never paid any money for that. They just said, we're exacting it. The irrigators couldn't do anything about it, but it just meant that they had less water uh, in their, when they got an allocation, it was 15% um, less or whatever it was. Right. But then because they weren't selling any water or very little water for the simple reason they didn't have any, they decided to levy a delivery charge, a delivery charge on each megalitre of water on your licence. That's insane. Now, they did that not only on the remaining 85%, they levied it on the 15% that they had exacted from irrigators. Now, if that's not a crime against the people by the state... I, I know nothing, and I wanted the irrigators to um, take a class action out against the state government, And um, but, you know, when people have got their backs to the wall and they've got no money and they've got no hope in the future, they don't want to get involved in a court case with the government, so it never, ever happened. But can I say to you, after all of these years, 19 years later, that is still a fact. The New South Wales government is taking money off irrigators every year for water that they can never, ever deliver. And what do the irrigators do? Well, if they don't pay for that water, they don't get any water at all. Now, if that's not a crime against the people, I know nothing. But you try and tell the present uh, and the past, uh, water minister in New South Wales that um, they're administering a crime against the people and uh, you'll probably understand why they don't like me much. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.